Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have you with us online there. We had some issues again tonight with our technical stuff, so hopefully we can get those bugs worked out again before Sunday. I uh, want to welcome those of you who are there on Facebook, on Twitter, on YouTube, uh, any of those, uh, our phone live streaming. Uh, be sure to heart, to like, to share, to follow us on all those social media platforms. Uh, subscribe to us there. Uh, that just helps to get those algorithms out, especially comment. Uh, that also uh, will get that information out in front of many more people. So it's just a way even you from home uh, can invite people to come to church. If you have access to the church website, go to HighlandBaptistChurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin, the children's worship bulletins. You can send those links out uh, however you want. But especially under that info link, you want to download the prayer list for tonight. If you need one of those and you didn't get one coming in, they're on the front pews here. And if anybody comes in late, make sure they uh, grab one of those. Uh, and also, I, I think I said it, but welcome to those who are listening uh, on our phone live streaming. I uh, want to encourage you also, if you have access to the church website there, uh, go to HighlandBaptistChurch.com, go to the far right-hand side, click the Give Online tab, easy platform there to set up your regular offering giving, as well as to give to the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. So I want to encourage you to be praying about giving to that, as well as to continue to pray for the Golden Offering for Tennessee Missions. Those are in the windowsills if you want one of those uh, prayer guides. And then we mentioned this Sunday, uh, we have our Compassion Ministries is what we shared uh, in our video Sunday, uh, and we had you collect some things earlier in the summer, but we need just a few more items uh, to be collected, some uh, t-shirts, underwear, and socks for each one of the age groups and each one of the genders. Uh, if you're interested in helping us with that, uh, call the church office and uh, we'll send you the link out uh, so that you can go online and sign up uh, for those so that we don't have more slots uh, or more stuff brought than we do slots uh, to be filled. But if you want to help us with the Christmas backpack ministry, uh, please uh, call us at the church office. You can see me uh, after the service here if you're here in person uh, tonight and we can get you plugged in with that. So Brother Mike. And let's sing all four verses of Rise Up, O Men of God. Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve. Hopefully you had that opportunity to get to the church website there to 
download the prayer list. Uh, if you didn't, please go there. Uh, if you have any updates that you want to give us tonight of any prayer requests in your home, uh, please go over to Facebook. Uh, that's where we'll be uh, watching the live there to share uh, any of those requests with. So let me just encourage you to take the time. That's what I'm doing right now is going over uh, to there on our church Facebook page. Uh, if you'll comment there with any updates, uh, we'll be able to see those and be able to uh, see those and share those. Very good. <laughs> so I am live. <laughs> All right. So please comment there. We'll share those. Even if you uh, forget and you don't share it until after we've already started the message, uh, please share. We try to come back at the end to make sure uh, that we give any updates on any that need to be updated on. Uh, so if you'll take a look at your Highland Baptist Church family uh, side there, let me just share uh, a few uh, that we do know of, of that have had some recent updates. Uh, and you may have some updates here in person uh, or online there of any individuals. Do want to continue to remember Miss Sandra Wells uh, as she will be having her uh, kidney procedure sometime. Uh, they, the last she had shared with us, and I know she's watching tonight, uh, they had not scheduled uh, that yet, and part of that was because of insurance. So uh, be in prayer that things will get worked out uh, with that. Miss Jill Farrell's been having some tests. I don't know any of the results of those yet, what they've determined. Uh, was going on with her as well as uh, Hilda Corley uh, was having some tests. And I believe she finished hers, uh, her round of tests last week. So do keep her in your prayers. Bill Warren, we, met, we sent a call out earlier this week. He did have to go back to have another biopsy done. Uh, and I've not heard the results of that from Ms. Faye uh, either. So, uh, and I don't know that they know yet uh, either. But do want to keep uh, him in your prayers as he continues to deal with that. And then Bernice Cox, uh, who is Russ and Lori, uh, what's her last name? Foster. Foster. Uh, it's, it's Lori's mom uh, is Bernice. Uh, we mentioned her last week, but just want to continue to remember her in prayer. As, uh, her situation is not good uh, and uh, looks to be really just a matter of time uh, for her. So want to remember her in your prayers. And then also S.W. Stone, we moved him down to the bottom. Even norm Normally we keep him up there with Miss Carolyn, uh, but he had been in the hospital last Wednesday. Uh, after I found that out and so he um, he is back at home recovering uh, from uh, some I believe it was pneumonia or something like that uh, that he had had so we want to keep him in your prayers as he continues uh, to heal uh, are there any others on the Highland Baptist Church family part there before we go down to the nursing home list I don't see any online either so on our nursing home list we have mary campbell who's at nhc peggy eggleston at life care uh, miss susie barton at morning point uh, how is she doing brother eddie okay <laughs> okay she she is going to be in a collar for about another month uh from where she had hurt her neck there so uh keep keep her in your prayers um and pray for the family there too <laughs> I want to pray for uh, Bertie Davis, uh, who's at Brookdale. Uh, she just recently had her birthday, uh, so we praise the Lord for that. And then Miss Janet Carter, uh, Floyd Prince, and Sue Prince. Uh, both of those are at Morning Point. Miss Janet is at MacArthur Manor, uh, and so remember her in your prayers. Uh, on the friends and family side, um, we did get an update on, I'm trying to see if we still had her on here. We may have removed her. Uh, Katie Pugh 
yeah, I think she removed her. Uh, we didn't want to quite remove her yet, but just remember her still in prayer. But she got a great report last Wednesday night. Uh, Ella shared with us that uh, it was cancer-free, right, and of all purposes. And so we just praise the Lord for that, but just continue to pray for her. Uh, she continues to heal from those things. Uh, do want to continue to remember Miss Janie Town, uh, as well as uh, her, her sister Terry Parrish and Donna Agcock, her sister, who is on the uh, Highland Baptist Church fa family side there, and Ken. Uh, as you'll see there with Janie, uh, they've been trying to get her uh, into the nursing home, and I'm not sure if they were able to do that yet. Uh, so just continue to keep her in prayer. Terry's at home uh, recovering, uh, so remember that. And then Kim Tucker is a teacher that Stan Smith, or one of the ladies that works in administration, I believe it is, um, with Stan Smith, and she has cancer, so remember her. And then Bill Warren's brother, Wilbur Warren, uh, has been having some returning issues there, so keep him in your prayers. And then also Mark Smith and the passing of his father. Uh, they just went out uh, Monday for his memorial service, so just pray for them as they travel back. Any other updates on any on the list or any we need to add? I don't see any online there uh, to add. Nobody in here have any to add or any updates? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then for these and uh, pray for our youth, pray for our kids who are here, pray for our leaders who are leading all of those respective ministries tonight. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for who you are and thank you, Lord, for the awesome, wonderful privilege we have to come before you, a holy and a righteous God, but yet a loving God, a caring God. Father, we know that you love us and that you care for us because you did the greatest thing you could have ever done for us in sending Jesus, your only begotten son, to die on the cross for our sin, to be buried in the tomb, and to arise on the third day, to take the punishment for our sin, and to give us the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, through our faith in him. And so, Father, we come before you tonight as you are a holy God, acknowledging, Lord, our sinfulness, asking, Lord, for you to forgive us of our sins as we repent of our sins and turn away from it to turn to follow you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will just uh, speak to our hearts in a powerful way tonight and hear our voice as we speak to you. We don't want sin uh, to hinder that relationship with you, so we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would uh, forgive us and cleanse us with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to be set on the path of righteousness, uh, living out the truth of your word each and every day of our lives. And so, Father, we come and, and, and humbly come before you tonight, and we want to uplift each and every person that is on this list, those we mentioned, those we didn't, maybe even those who are here tonight, some unspoken needs, uh, those maybe at home have some unspoken needs. And, Father, we just pray that your hand will be upon them. You are the great physician, and so we just ask, Lord, for you to divinely intervene and to touch them with your healing hand to bring that healing to their bodies. Father, we pray that would be your will and that we would glorify and praise your name as you bring that healing to their bodies. But even, Lord, if you don't, we pray, God, that you will uh, walk with these individuals, be with these individuals, surround them with your grace and your mercy and your loving kindness, and help them, Lord, to know that you are with them. You've never left them uh, nor forsaken them. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that your will would be done in their hearts and in their lives to, to help them, Lord, as they're going through difficult situations, encouraging them. Uh, day by day, even especially, Lord, uh, when, when things are so difficult, 
uh, that many times we, in situations like that, feel like giving up. Help us, Lord, to trust in you and to know that you are with us and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Father, we pray for your will to be done in each one of these individuals' lives and use it as a testimony and a witness to their families, to the caregivers, to the doctors, the nurses who may be taking care of them. Uh, Father, we pray that you will bless them and give them wisdom and discernment. Uh, Father, we just pray for your will to be done and for you to use these as opportunities uh, to draw others to faith in Christ, to draw those individuals who are going through these situations either closer to you or to trust in you if they've never trusted by faith in Jesus as their Savior. And Father, we just pray that you'll be glorified and honored through all those things. Lord, we pray for our children uh, who are meeting uh, elsewhere in the building in Awana. We pray, God, for that ministry, for all of our leaders. Give them grace and mercy uh, tonight, Lord, as they are uh, ministering to our kids. Father, we pray that you'll give them wisdom and discernment as they handle situations, as they teach uh, these kids the, the truth of your word. And, and may your word be hid in these children's hearts that they might not sin against you. May you use it to lead them and to guide them, to help them to make right decisions all, all throughout their lives. And Father, we pray for our youth who are meeting uh, with uh, Pastor Matt. We ask God that you will just bless him and the other youth workers uh, and bless those youth to give them a hunger and a thirst for you. Uh, Lord, to want to know you more fully in their lives, to live for you faithfully uh, each and every day. And may you use them in their lives as a witness to their friends throughout their schools, throughout the community, and may you be glorified and honored in their lives tonight. So Lord, as we come to study your word in the book of Haggai, I pray God that you will uh, break the word for us, uh, feed us on your word, May it sustain us. May it revive us. May it refresh us. Father, I pray this small little book in, in the Old Testament uh, will be a powerful book that will stick with us and that we'll remember it and its truths and its applications for days and weeks and months and years to come. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. So again, if you do have a prayer request there and you forgot to do that before our prayer time, uh, please comment there. We'll share it uh, at the very end of our service. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Haggai. You may be wondering, where in the world is that? If you can find Matthew, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament, uh, the Gospels there. Uh, you're just going to turn back about three books there. Uh, you're going to go back to Malachi, and then you're going to go back to Zechariah, and then right before Zechariah will be Haggai. Uh, Haggai is only uh, two chapters, but it has four messages uh, that Haggai preaches in these chapters. And so we're going to look at the first of four messages uh, tonight from the book of Haggai. The first is the call to repent and to rebuild. And to, to do that, you have to do what I've entitled this message tonight. You have to take a good look at your life. And that's in fact what Haggai is telling uh, the Jewish people to do. Uh, so, but before we get into this first message, uh, I want to help us to learn some things about Haggai first. Uh, the book of Haggai is a bit of kind of an anomaly, if you will, in the Old Testament, uh, especially in the Old Testament canon, uh, because Haggai's message, if you read all the other minor prophets, uh, they preach their message, they talk about sin, they talk about God's hope and the, the hope that he offers, the grace and the mercy that he offers. But you never hear what happens. Uh, 
in any of those other uh, small little minor prophet books. Well, in Haggai, we do. We do get to see uh, what happens. And, and so when we look at his book, uh, his message gets through and the people respond in repentance and obedience. And so it's a great little book of, uh, of a testimony here of God's grace and God's mercy. And so in a sea of all of these prophetic books uh, that condemn disobedience only to see the people of God uh, brush off those warnings and they just continue on in their sin, Haggai stands out for us as an encouraging light, an example of what can happen when God's people listen to God's word, delivered through God's prophet, and experience God's grace and his mercy and his blessings. Now, we really know very little about the prophet Haggai himself. Uh, though we can surmise a few things from the textual evidence here. He was what we might call, we, uh, sometimes you'll see Jeremiah is labeled the, the weeping prophet. Well, Haggai would be kind of labeled the longing prophet. Uh, we don't know a lot about his family background, his call, uh, his personal life. We do know that when the work of the temple had been stopped for 16 years, Haggai and Zechariah... Uh, all of a sudden uh, began to preach and to encourage the people of God to begin to put God first and to get back to the work. Now, Haggai is probably an older man, uh, likely in his 70s at least. Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 indicates that Haggai may have seen the original temple uh, that had been built, Solomon's temple, uh, which would have helped him to understand uh, the significance of God's call to, to rebuild the temple as well as the value of the temple. Uh, Haggai would have understood the importance of the land. Uh, he would have understood the, the importance of worship. Uh, that, that were vital uh, to the blessing of God's people. And so his understanding of those things would lend weight to God's message uh, as he would plead for the Israelite people to, to abandon uh, their apathy and to begin to take up once again uh, the work of rebuilding the temple. And so he's called the longing prophet because he was longing for the people of God to return to the heart of God. Uh, so as for the dating of the book, of Haggai. We know that Haggai was part of the returning remnant uh, that was being brought back to Jerusalem. So if you want to put Haggai in a, in a time frame here, uh, we had just finished with Zephaniah. Zephaniah uh, had already preached about some of the judgment that was coming upon them uh, from Assyria, from, the, from uh, the Medes and the Persians, the Babylonians eventually too who were going to be coming. And so he's preaching before they came, went into captivity in the southern kingdom. Well, here is Haggai who's preaching at the end of the captivity time, as they're coming back to the promised land to reestablish things, to rebuild things. So he is probably a part of that returning remnant that came back to Jerusalem after King Darius's decree in 538 B.C. Uh, after living for years in captivity, uh, the return to their land uh, must have been an exciting thing for the, for the people of Israel. Uh, the Persian government, they still ruled over the people of Israel. So even though they're going back, it's not the way it used to be and won't ever be the way it used to be when they had their own kingdom that they were in charge of, that they had their own kings. Uh, it won't ever be that way. Uh, again, in fact, when they go back, they're now under the rule of the Persian government over the people of Israel. 
after approximately 50,000 Israelites returned home, though, there was this urgent concern uh, for the temple and, for, and an immediate effort was made to rebuild it. And so they began to, to move all the destruction. Remember, it was destroyed when, when they came in and ransacked the place uh, and took them off into captivity. So it was all laid a waste, the, the, the temple was. And so they move all of those things out of the way and they begin to rebuild the foundation of the temple. The foundation was quickly rebuilt. They get it rebuilt and the people begin to celebrate. Uh, they, they begin to have this uh, celebration of the accomplishment. You can read about that in Ezra's book, in Ezra chapter 3. Uh, but in response to their building success, you find out that the Samaritan neighbors that they had, they didn't like what was going on, and they planned to slow down the work, and they were successful in frustrating the progress of the temple. They succeeded in part by appealing to the government authorities. Uh, and that's found in Ezra chapter 4. So here lay the foundation, this project that had begun to start, and it lay there dormant for 16 years. So think about that. If you were to go uh, today and you decided, hey, we're going to go uh, buy us a little piece of property, we're going to go build us a house, and you go buy that piece of property, you go and start laying the foundation, and you get the foundation laid, and 16 years later, all you got is the foundation. That'd be disappointing, wouldn't it? It'd be discouraging. In fact, that's what happened here. It became uh, discouraging. And so he, here they had gone. They had started it. They had rebuilt, it, rebuilt the foundation. And, and now we find that after 16 years from 536 B.C. until two years after Darius became king of the Persian Empire, this just lay as a foundation. I remember uh, before I left home to go off to Bible college, there was a church in our community back home in Florida. I may have shared this with you before, but it's been quite a while since I did. Uh, they, had, they were building a new facility, needed, to, needed a new facility. They were outgrowing uh, the church that they were in, and uh, they built the foundation. They actually built some walls. That was as far as it got. And for years, it sat there. And it sat there. Weeds, tall dog fennel began to grow up around it. And it just sat there. I never did uh, go any further. I don't know what the situation was that happened, if, if there was disgruntledness in the church or, or disagreements or whatever happened, but it stayed there. And it was an eyesore in the community. Uh, it, when people drove by it, I mean, we, we rode the school bus uh, by it, and, and you would see it all the time. Uh, and, and it was a discouragement there every time you saw it. And you would think, well, why did they stop? Why didn't they keep pressing on? Why, why did they stop at that point? Well, uh, that's where the people of Israel are. And, and so in 520 B.C., so as you're dating B.C. times, you're going to keep going smaller and smaller till you get closer to the time Jesus is born. Uh, so we started at 536 B.C. Uh, until two years after Darius became king. Then 520 B.C., Haggai began to prophesy among the people of God. And he's pleading for them to get over their apathy, to get over their laziness and their delay of their obedience uh, to, to not delay any longer. And so his pleas uh, were successful 
as we're going to see. And the nation of Israel repents, they obey God, and they begin to rebuild the temple. So this book is the story of God's people, and in many ways it's the same story that we see as God's people throughout all Scripture and even to today. Uh, God has designed the world to work in a specific way. Uh, when the people of God disobey Him by sinning, uh, humanity is not able to be blessed by God as He intended, uh, but this can be made right if, if we would just repent and obey. Uh, and, and so here's this prophet Haggai uh, who is God's good gift to the people and he's calling them through this message to repent, to obey, and to share with them the hope of God's blessings because they're discouraged, they're downcast, they're like we're never ever going to get this thing done. Now the, the people of Israel, they weren't being blessed like they expected as we find out and Haggai reminded them it's due to your laziness, to your apathy, to, to, to you postponing your obedience. You were supposed to have done this way back there 16 years ago and finished the work then, but it's still laying there with just the foundation. Now, when you look at Haggai's book, it's the second shortest book uh, in the Old Testament. Obadiah is the shortest. Uh, as we said, it consists of four messages that he gives over a period of five months in the year 520. He calls the people to consider, to think, to carefully think, and to realize what it was costing them to neglect God's house. Uh, he's reminding them in these messages of God's covenant, uh, of his promises uh, that are recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Uh, but he's also encouraging them by assuring them God is with you in the work. And so the temple does get completed in 515. So it, he preaches these messages in 520. It takes five years for them to finish the temple uh, that they build here during this time. It was completed in 515. Uh, so Haggai and Zechariah, uh, their ministry was not in vain. Uh, so this first message begins by reminding these people that they have been disregarding God's lead uh, and, and that has uh, led them to a, a lack of God's blessing in their lives. So here he tells them three things I want you to get out of chapter 1. First he tells them stop making excuses. Stop making excuses. You see this in verse 1 down through verse 4. So in verse 1 of Haggai, it says, In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel the son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of of the Lord. We're going to come back to that phrase. That's a very important phrase uh, that he, he gives here. Uh, they, have not, they, they are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? 
So a couple of things we want to see here uh, about the excuses they were making. These people had a problem of prioritizing uh, their, their own comfort over God's priorities, over God's temple. And so he's telling them, stop making excuses, obey God now. They had kept putting off and kept putting off and kept putting off obeying God. They had postponed their obedience. And what that showed was their consistent condition of their sinful human hearts in what they say in verse 2. So the prophet Haggai here, he's concerned with the Israelite people. Uh, they had returned to their home uh, more than 16 years ago, uh, but they had made very little progress on rebuilding the temple. We said that initial return, there was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of enthusiasm. They had a great celebration when they laid the foundation. Uh, and, and that excitement had initially led them, made them excited about, we can't wait to get this thing finished and see what it's going to look like. Well, Ezra tells us that they attacked the building, uh, the enemy, their enemies attacked the building of the foundation in fairly quick action uh, when they go to rebuilding it. Uh, they, they attack it with a vengeance, if you will, to, to rebuild, and they were able to see it rebuilt in those five years uh, after these messages. Uh, and, and so in response to the building of the foundation, uh, we said was to throw a party, and at that party many of the older Jews cried, and, and, and the rest uh, just, just shouted with joy. Uh, it was obviously a moving moment. But as so often it is with our obedience to God's commands, the Jewish people were half-hearted. They were half committed in their work, uh, you know. Uh, the, they were pressured to abandon the work. Their neighbors, chiefly, as we said, the Samaritans, uh, apparently feared uh, their, their rising up of power again of the Israelite people. And, and so they compelled them, you just, you all, y'all just need to stop building this uh, temple. In fact, they went so far as to pressure the controlling government and, and their efforts paid off. And so now you see the government oppressing God's people and saying, you can't build this temple. Uh, thank God we live in a, in a nation that we have the religious freedoms that we have, but you see those things being encroached upon more and more over the years. Well, the Israelite people, they just, hmm, they said, well, it's too much, too hard. There's no way we can overcome this. And so they just stopped. They not only stopped, they stopped for more than 16 years. And in the meantime, what did they do? It wasn't like they just sat around and did nothing for 16 years. They built their own houses. They worked on their own places, their own businesses for those 16 years. They worked on rebuilding the rest of the city among all those things. And they established the city once again. So it's no stretch to imagine that the city was a busy place of activity. Uh, as business and pleasure uh, began to intersect uh, on its streets uh, once more. Uh, however, in the midst of, of life being lived, uh, the most uh, important thing was being forgotten, namely the worship of God. And the temple was a part of that. So in, in, you think about what's happening here. They're busy. 
There's a lot of busyness going on. It's a lot similar to the behavior of Martha uh, in the account of Jesus and his friend, at his friend's homes uh, in Luke chapter 10. Uh, the Israelite people, they were busy, but they were obviously busy about their own things and lazy towards uh, the worship uh, of God. And so the, this picture, uh, into this picture comes the voice of Haggai. In verse 2, he tells them, tells them the Lord's disappointed with you uh, when he says that the people of Israel, they didn't have any interest in rebuilding the temple. Notice what he says the people say. This is what we wanted to come back to in verse 2. They said, the time has not come for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. And when you think about that and you realize it was 16 years that it sat there, you're thinking, well, when would it have been a good time? 20 years? 26 years? 36 years. So that phrase, the time has not come, is really code for I've got better things to do. And you hear that and see that in people's lives today. They know what is the most important thing. Worship God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Even people within the church. I mean, think about who this is about. This is about God's chosen people. This is not about the Gentiles. This is not about those who are outside of, of God's chosen family here. These are His people who are in a covenant relationship with Him. They should have known better. And they're saying, i got better things to do i got better things to do. And you see that today. i got better things to do. I'll go to the lake this Sunday. Or I've got this sporting event to go to. Or this thing or that thing. I've got better things to do than worship with the Lord. That's not new for the Israelite of Haggai's time. And it's not foreign to our day. When overlooking the things of God in favor of our own things is a fairly commonplace thing even today. It's the same thing that you see all the way back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when the serpent convinces Eve to disregard God's words and to believe that her own wisdom was enough. And so this willingness of the Israelites to postpone their obedience to finish building the temple has, and their disregard of it altogether has been the marker of the human race ever since, ever since Eve's initial sin there. And so at the root of this sin is pride. I'm more concerned with what I want than with what God wants. The belief that our wisdom and our preferences are greater than God's. That's why G.K. Chesterton, the great preacher of old, once said, if I had only one sermon to preach, it'd be a sermon against pride. So what Haggai wanted for the people of Israel was a change of heart that would lead to changed behavior. He wanted them to prioritize God and to prioritize God's commands over and above everything else. And that's precisely what Jesus was trying to instill in Martha when she was so busy working for Jesus that she forgot what was the most important thing, worshiping Him. And that's where Mary was, was at the feet of Jesus. In fact, Jesus told her this in Luke 10 and verse 41 down through verse 42, that says, But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And so this, that passage reminds us, and this passage reminds us, that God's greatest desire for us is that we honor him and obey his commands. Much like little children uh, who constantly question their parents at night in an attempt to postpone their sleep. They just keep questioning. Uh, Why do I have to go? What about this? Can I get a cup of water? Can I do this? I got to go to the bathroom. And they're all the time asking things just to keep avoiding from doing what they were told uh, to do. You know, we as Christians, so often are tempted to exhaust our energies uh, on, on other issues and other areas of life in an attempt to postpone our obedience to what God has said in his word for us to do. So this postponing is, is rooted in theology and history as we understand clearly that humanity is inherently sinful and has been since the Garden of Eden. So he's saying, stop making excuses. He's saying to them, stop choosing your own comfort over obedience. So Haggai continues there in verse 3 down through verse 4, uh, when the word of the Lord came, to, uh, came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, and he questions them and pointedly comes back to them, raises his voice uh, in opposition to them, and says, is it a time for you yourselves? They said, oh, it's not the time yet to build the house of the Lord. And he said, well, is it a time for you to build your houses, your paneled houses, while this house lies in ruin? And so uh, Haggai's raising that question there. He begins to condemn their paneled houses. Now, Haggai specifically uses the word for paneled that implies well-appointed, uh, comfortable. In other words, they're not only settled uh, in their homes, it's kind of like they've been down to Lowe's and they bought a lot of uh, things, a lot of amenities to bring home and decorate their house up real nice. And no, no concern about the house of the Lord. And so Haggai, he's not condemning their comfortable living. He's condemning this living at the expense of obedience to God's commands. So in other words, he's not saying your houses are, are not important. Our houses are important. But he's saying when those things become more important than God's things, you've got things out of order and you need to put God's things first. And so that's why he's contrasting here their paneled houses with the temple which lies in ruins. There's strong words here uh, that, that he just wants to drive the point home uh, about the disparity between their own standard of living and the condition of the house of God that remains unbuilt and will remain unbuilt till they get back to the work. They were more interested in what they could gain than they were in obeying God's commands. And so their chief objection to obeying God's commands was the cost involved in doing so. You go over to the New Testament and you look at Jesus and what Jesus has to say during Jesus' life. He would again clarify to us the cost of following him was significant. That Luke 9 verse 23 says, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the cost is high. And, and although the Israelite people had an obedience issue, notice something about Haggai. Haggai understood that this was an issue of the heart. If their hearts were, were warm toward God, if they uh, were, were moved to a closer relationship with God, their, their behavior would follow is what he understood. 
They were disobedient because they had chosen to love themselves more than they loved God. And so ultimately this is an example of, of idol worship with themselves at the center of their worship. You see, the danger for the Israelite people wasn't that they had abandoned the building of the temple. It was that they had ultimately abandoned God, the God of the temple. Their comfort had risen to more importance uh, than their fear of God, their fear of the Samaritans, their fear of others uh, who, were, who were trying to ridicule them and keep them from building the temple. Their fear of those people was greater than their fear of God. And so their comfort rose uh, in, in their importance and, and they fell to the pressure uh, of self-preservation. And sadly, as Haggai would go on to point out, their attempts at preserving themselves or uh, their human successes would backfire. And what they believed to be critical in the advancement of their comfort actually was their undoing. And so we see the second point of his message was this, start considering your ways. Start thinking about your ways. So verse 5 goes on to tell them that they need to reflect, and when they, that reflecting is going to point them towards God's displeasure. Verse 5 and verse 6. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Think about what you're about to do. He says, think about what you've done in the past. You have sown much but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Does that sound like your income? <laughs> it's in a bag with holes? <laughs> yeah. We, we eat but it seems like we don't ever get enough. We have clothes, we get clothes, but you're not warm. We've sown much, but we've harvested little. And so we see they had stopped building the temple because of that pressure from the outside. They thought that this path would lead them to satisfaction. They were tired of all that resistance. They were uh, attracted to this future to them that seemed appealing. Isn't that the way it always is? The grass always seems greener on the other side. And so Haggai points out, you're wrong. He says, consider, think about your ways. He wanted them to start doing some self-examination. And so this word that he uses in verse 5, he's going to use it again in chapter 2 and verse 15 and chapter 2 and verse 18 to really drive that point home that they'll be, so they'll be able to trace their blessings and their peace to the obedience to God's commands. It's a matter, that it matters that they think about that connection. Now, what we want to be careful here that you could easily drift over into is this isn't some early version of, of a prosperity gospel. It's not a promise that if I scratch God's back, God will scratch mine. If I obey God, God will bless me. He'll pour out blessings on me. Instead, this is a basic principle that God has designed uh, the world so that it functions best when, when we're in the center of His will, when we're obeying His will, following His commands, following His purposes. Uh, and so that, that human Flourishing generally occurs when we honor God and follow His commands and are obedient to Him. You leave the results uh, up into His hands. And so what we see about the Israelites is they had not honored God. 
nor had they obeyed his commands. And so Haggai is wanting to draw this very clear, very distinctive connection between their lack of obedience and their obvious lack of flourishing. So three separate times he, he asked them to think about where they found themselves in light of their obedience or their disobedience. And, and it's an important lesson even for us in our own lives because far too often we fail to think about where we are or where we've been and how we got to where we are. We need to many times take a hard look at our own lives, and that's challenging. And, and, and at times can be very painful. And yet that's exactly why it's so important. Because when we consider our own lives, we're challenged to consider whether or not we have been or whether we are now walking in obedience to God's purpose and to His Word. Uh, you know, when we look at God's Word and we see here's what God's Word says to do, we can sometimes make ourselves look pretty good because we many times will compare ourselves to others instead of comparing ourselves to God and His holy standard. It's easy to compare ourselves to others and say, well, at least I'm not like Him. At least I'm not like that sorry, good, good, no good nothing. And so Haggai says, he goes on in verse 6 to clarify their lack and he lists all those different things. He talks about their harvest. He talks about the drinking. He talks about their clothing. He talks about their income. All those things were less than expected. Why? Because they hadn't done what God had told them to do. The prophet Jeremiah had said years before in Jeremiah 29 verse 5 and verse 7, God had told them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat your produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He's talking about while they're in the exile here. He says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. And for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And so Haggai's point in these verses is that our actions have consequences. It, it sounds a lot like uh, the wisdom that our parents offered to us when we were children. Uh, but it's an excellent point. Our actions never happen in, in isolation. It always leads to consequences. And sometimes uh, those consequences are encouraging. Sometimes those consequences are good. And other times those consequences are painful and challenging because of the choices that we make. And so in particular, and for the purpose of this passage, the Israelite sin had consequences. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 59 verse 2. He said, but your iniquities or your sin have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. It's a reminder for us that while all of our behavior has consequences, our sin has serious and even deadly consequences because there's a separation between us and God. When we disregard God so that we can please ourselves, we're placing ourselves in that precarious uh, place, in that situation of being outside of what God intended. We're right there in the crosshairs of God's wrath and God's judgment. As long as we stay close to God, we're under the shelter of His protection. So in the case of the Israelites in Haggai's day, they were desperately in need of obedience. Now, this passage is reminding us here also that we can't obey completely. We're always going to fail. God is perfect. God is holy, and he requires a perfect holiness from us, and we can't do that apart in and of ourselves. 
And so we have to either face God's wrath or we have to appeal to a mediator in order to escape the wrath of God. We need somebody who's able to redeem us. And that's Jesus Christ who's able to redeem us. So every generation, uh, both those before and those after Israel, would face the same problem. Uh, a lack of flourishing in the presence uh, of God's wrath. We're all in need of a redeemer. He also tells them, here's something else you need to think about. You also need to think about your response. You need to consider your response. So look at verse 7 down through verse 11. He's thus, thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, he says, think about it. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. And so because they chose not to obey God and ultimately that led to their idol worship of themselves, Haggai now moves on to charting a way forward for the Israelites. As he did in verse 5, he once again reminds them, think about it. Consider your response. I mean, previously they thought about their behavior and, and what they had to show for it. Now he's telling them, think about your response. So what is this response that Haggai's calling them to? The response he's calling them to is repentance. See, understand that repentance is a turning of the heart that leads to a turning of the behavior. Haggai is calling these Israelite people to decisively turn your hearts toward God, away from your sin, uh, from that d disobedience and delaying to obey Him, and turn towards God. And when you do, your behavior will be pleasing to God. You know, throughout Scripture you see uh, that pattern. Uh, heart change leads to behavior change. God expects our behavior to change, but He's clear that our behavior is simply a reflection of the heart. So when our, when our hearts change, our behavior follows. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life or the springs of life. And so Haggai understands that rebuilding the temple is not just a physical thing. It's a heart issue. He desires in his heart to see their behavior change. But he understands that behavior follows the desires of your heart. So ultimately they had a desire problem. They had a heart problem. They needed to repent. And their repentance needed to identify the, their misplaced uh, affections. So verse 8, he describes the behavior that would follow in incredibly simple terms. Uh, when he says there, go up the hills, bring the wood, build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So in other words, until they repented, they weren't ever going to be walking right with the Lord until they did that. And so Haggai calls them to think rightly, build the house. That repentance is first internal and heart-focused, and secondly is external and hand-focused. 
And so understand this. Our repentance has to be the same way. And sadly, far too often, it's easy for us to acknowledge a wrongdoing and hope that somehow I can just do better. And, and that'll get me out of my situation. It's sad to think that those around us, to, to those around us that, that it can appear to work. It appears to work to them. We, we conform our behavior. We please those around us. And yet our heart is still far from God. Our hearts have to be the starting place. And when the heart is the starting place and you repent of your sin, then the behaviors will begin to change. If you're just doing it from the outside, we do this all the time with our kids, don't we? We tell our kids, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Sometimes the kids do that. But they do it with, hmm, I'm doing it because you told me to. They're doing it under muffled breath. They're doing it just to please you, not because the heart has changed. And then finally in verse 9 through verse 11, Haggai points out, you do have this opportunity. You have an opportunity to receive and, and demonstrate repentance, and you have an opportunity to reject repentance. You could choose to continue walking as you've always been doing, or you can begin now to experience God working in your heart and in your life as you begin in your heart to trust him. The choice is simple. You can repent and follow God's ways and leave the results in God's hands, and he will bless. And he'll bless in his way, not the way you always think. Or you can reject repentance, and you can risk God's wrath and keep missing the blessings that God has for your life. The last thing he tells us is in verse 12 through verse 15, and that's to begin to serve the Lord. And we'll pick up with that part next time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling us also to think about where we are, to think about the choices that we've made and how we've gotten into the situations that we're in. Lord, I pray that we've been living for you. I pray, God, we've been obedient to you. And sometimes, Lord, we can make all the right choices and the world is still against us. And it seems like the blessings aren't there. Lord, I pray that we would not do things in our lives for the blessings. But Lord, we would do those things that we need to be doing in our lives because in our hearts we love you no matter what. So Father, I pray that we will learn in our hearts that this is the place for us to begin. The, the ground at the foot of the cross is level, and every one of us needs to come to the place of repentance, the place to say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent of my sin, I turn away from it, and I turn to follow you, Jesus. I, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and my life and to save me and to help me live for you all the days of my life. I trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross and that in his burial and his resurrection, he is giving me eternal life. Father, if there's those who prayed something like that in their hearts tonight, Lord, I pray that they will let us know online or they would talk to me after the service. 
And Father, I pray that we would uh, take the next steps of obedience, Lord, to, to demonstrate our obedience to you in following through with believers' baptism, to give that picture of what has happened in our hearts and in our lives, uh, knowing, Lord, that the baptism doesn't save us, but it's that we do it in obedience to what Christ told us to do. And Father, I pray for those who are believers, Lord, that maybe somewhere along the way we've become like the children of Israel were, who were your children, your family, your covenant people, and they became lazy in the work. And they became more concerned about their things and their priorities and their desires more so much over what you wanted. Father, I pray that we would get things right in the priorities of our life. And Lord, that we would repent of our sin, of putting ourselves over you. And Lord, we just ask for your leadership and your guidance daily as we face those struggles. Lord, help us to come to the repentance of our sin. And Lord, I pray that as we do, and as we step into obedience of following you and doing what your word has already told us to do, that you're showing us. And Father, I pray that you would bless us in a great and mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's so much we're going to get to in Haggai, so we want to encourage you to join us next Wednesday again for that. But Sunday, uh, we'll be back in the Gospels looking at the life of Jesus. So I want to encourage you uh, to come and join us then at uh, 1030 for our worship service. If you can come for Sunday school, I encourage you to do that at 915. But you have a blessed week, a safe week, and we'll see you this coming Sunday.